0: Welcome to Clarity Funds Podcast. This is episode seven. I'm Dr. Owen Anderson, and I'm here with Greg Malloy. Hi, Greg. Hello. Thanks for joining me. I'm going to be continuing our discussion. In in episode six, we talked about common ground, just what it is. And there are four points under common ground. We're talking about the Logos paper number two. And so we're to the first one of those, which is the second point on the handout, because the first point is on common ground. But the the uh, first uh, part of common ground is reason, so that's point two in the handout. We're going to be going over that today. What is reason? And we've both encountered a number of quick mischaracterizations of reason, especially when you're dealing with theology or apologetics or religion. Reason is sometimes put as the the anti-category. There's religion and there's reason, and so part of what we're, we're going to do, we're, we're saying reasons so important that it's necessary for thought. So we're, we're kind of undermining this, this um, what I'd call a false dichotomy. And we wanna look at what reason is. And it would begin with this point. It's self-evident that we think. Now, people say something things self-evident and what they're claiming to be self-evident, is some, it means more like, I'm persuaded of this. Yeah. But to actually be self-evident means it proves itself. You don't need something else to come in and prove itself. And that we think is like that, right? So think about what it would be like to deny that you'd be thinking. right? You can't escape it. So that actually is an example of something that's self-evident. Yeah. And, and especially when we're thinking, we're doing things like forming concepts, a concept of a table, or we're making judgments, where we combine concepts or we uh, separate concepts. We might say Socrates is mortal. That's a judgment. And then we make arguments. We combine judgments to make arguments where we have two judgments that support a conclusion. So we might say, Socrates, uh, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. So these are examples of thought. And and if if someone was to say, to deny that we think they'd be doing it. So this is for humans, inescapable. I mean, a lot of times when people try to escape thought, they have to do, I mean, when you're sleeping, you're not thinking, but you can't sleep 24 seven. And, and so if people try to deny thought, they tend to have to get into substances of some kind, right? I mean, you yeah. have to, like, dull your body. Opium is the best-known thing you do. You go to an opium den and just kind of bliss out and try not to think anymore. Right. But if you're not sleeping and you're not on opium or something like that, you're going to end up thinking about things. Right. It's part of human nature.
1: Yeah, I never have my students or anyone push back on this. I say, you know, is it, is it possible that you're not thinking? And is is that even make sense to say? I'm not sure if I'm thinking. I think this is what Descartes was kind of getting at. Yeah. Um, that this is not something that was was rational to affirm. I do pretend.
0: get arguments about that. I'll have someone say, "Oh yeah, that's Cartesian modern philosophy." But before that, Augustine said the exact same thing mm. in the Confession. So, yeah. I think therefore I am. To think you must be existing in right. you know, some sense. It's not. It's not a modern insight. Right. That's just a logical necessity right right. to make that statement so the second point under reason defines the laws of thought and i think that might be an unfamiliar term it's interesting i i first encountered it in high school geometry Mm -hmm. and it was just like in the first week of geometry class she went over the three laws of thought and these are identity which says a is a socrates is socrates and non-contradiction something is not both a and non-a in the same time in the same respect Socrates is not non-Socrates, and excluded middle, something is either A or non-A in the same time in the same respect. So we went over those, my high school geometry teacher, somewhat quickly moved on. I never thought about them again until I uh, took a philosophy class and and realized, wow, those are actually really important for all thought.
1: Absolutely. We can't uh, overestimate how important and critical those three laws you just said are and how much they're going to come up over and over again, especially the law of non-contradiction. And really, I've heard some argue, you can really infer two from, the, from one of them, the other yeah. two, uh, depending on what you start with. But um, maybe we, we could just briefly talk about what the laws are saying, right? Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about the law of non-contradiction, essentially we're saying something just can't, you can't be A and non-A at the same time in the same sense. You can't be human and non-human, yeah. Right at the same time, in the same respect, it's important to add that yeah. on there. Um, because things change, and something yeah. could be, uh, you know, green and then red, right? But yeah. it can't become green and or green. different
0: parts are green and right. some parts are exactly. red, so that's why we qualify that same time, same respect to avoid those ambiguities.
1: An, an example that we often use in classes is there can't be any square circles, yeah, right? Why? Because a square and a circle have mutually exclusive properties. You can't have angles and no angles. Yeah. Or right angles, I should say. At the say.
0: same time in same respect. Because yes. it's fun to watch right. uh, it's fun to watch students uh, try to push back on that. And they'll say, yeah. Look, here's a square in a circle. Right. Well, yeah. that's not a square circle. Or if you look at this object from this side, it's a square. Right. If you look at it from the other side, it's a circle. Well, that's not from the same Respect, right? It's from different angles.
1: Which is interesting too. They end up changing, uh, going back to common ground, they end up changing the meaning of the terms. Because a square and a circle are two-dimensional figures. Right,
0: exactly. They'll start to say, well,
1: I have these spheres. Wait wait a minute. You just, a sphere and a circle aren't the same thing.
0: Right. Yeah, so so when you have a definition in place in your mind, you'll avoid that. And it's somewhat silly to, you know, the, the idea of a square circle, let me try to help that connect with us. Because although that's silly in one sense... I don't think we occupy a lot of our time with square circles. That very point illustrates what we're saying mm-hmm. because we recognize there aren't any. We spend zero time of our day thinking about them. Right. And so we're going to be using reason and applying it to questions like, uh, what is eternal? And ruling out square circle answers right. in that uh, to that question. Right. So we're going to be using reason for that very purpose. Yeah, we shouldn't spend any time thinking about square circles.
1: Yeah. And we see how committed, how quickly committed we can be to re- reject square circles, that's just silly, but will we keep that commitment when someone identifies a square circle in our worldview?
0: Right, exactly, yeah, that's, that goes back, that, or anticipates integrity, which we'll be coming to. Yeah. Will well, we have integrity? So the laws of thought might initially seem abstract, but reason as the laws of thought makes thought possible. So if you reflect on what you're doing as you're listening and thinking, You're distinguishing between things. Each of my words distinguishes itself from what it isn't. That's the law of identity being applied. And if someone was to deny the law of identity, it would apply not just to their sentences, but to each word in their sentences. It becomes the actual definition of nonsense. So, reason as a laws of thought makes thought possible. If you were to try to question that, You'd be using reason, which is a self referential absurdity or a self contradiction, to say, I'm going to use reason to question reason. So, those laws are important to keep in mind. I, I think they may seem a little bit abstract, but hopefully, as we give some concrete examples, that will help so that we see why they are necessary for thought, why they have that title, the laws of thought.
1: Right. And maybe one challenge I hear sometimes to the law of excluded middle is people don't like to be put in categories, mm-hmm. right? So if you come up to me and you say, Uh, Greg, are you a Republican or, you know, Democrat? I might say, Don't put me in, you know, labels and stuff. And in yeah. that case, that would be true. Because there are other categories I could be. I could be You're Tea a Party, right? I could be libertarian. Well, we don't have to talk about that. Oh, okay. You know, we don't need to put that <laughs> on here um, But so there are instances where people are doing that, uh, committing the fallacy of false dichotomy, yeah. right?
0: Now yeah, the, that's a good one. False dichotomy and excluded middle are different.
1: Yes, they're very different, but they can be confused often. Yeah. Sometimes people think they'll be given a, a false dichotomy and they're actually just be, it's just an application of the law of excluded middle. And sometimes the opposite happens. So that example would be a false dichotomy. However, if I came to you and I said, Owen, are you Christian or non Christian? Yeah. There's only two options, right? Yeah. And so this is something we want to be sure when, when people are maybe kind of resistant to the law of excluded middle, what they're really resistant to is false dichotomies. Right. Putting, being, being labeled, being uh, identified in a certain uh, binary, which is a false one. False right, binary. yeah.
0: So they might say this way, you're an all or nothing person. Mm-hmm. And that is a false option because there's another option, which is some yeah. or some is not. So yeah, the law of excluded middle says A or non-A. It doesn't say A or B. Mm-hmm. now that's i 'm glad you brought that up because there 's another couple of other examples you might want to think about sometimes in logic the law non or the law of excluded middle is of the three the one that 's doubted because someone might say there are other categories besides for example truth, true, and not true, and they might give examples of this or they might try to use ambiguity so they might say uh, bald and non bald and there 's a third option balding. Mm-hmm. So for these reasons, the law of uh, excluded middle is insufficient. Have you heard those?
1: I have. Yeah, it's been a while. It's more of like a gra- from graduate this? graduate school yeah. uh, philosophy discussions.
0: Yeah. So the, I mean, in those cases, again, if we if we remind ourselves, same time, same respect, we're able to see A and non A excluded middle is talking about those. Right. Uh, there is also uh, dialethean logic, which says the law of non-contradiction doesn't apply. So in, in this logic, which is kind of like a game, it could be called a logic game, and what you do is you you set up rules for your logic game, and then you follow those rules to draw inferences from premises. So in this one, you could end up with, in most logics, if you end up with both uh, A and non-A as your conclusion, then you know the original premise is false. Mm-hmm. But on this one, you're able to, to end up with uh, true and not true. Mm. And there's something to it, which is the following, and it's actually one of the next points, there is another category, which is meaningless. Hmm. So a meaningless statement is neither true nor false. Hmm. And that, that's the first act of reason. Before we even get to questions about true or false, we're really going to have to know what does something mean. If I was to ask you a, a, a what is to you a meaningless question, like blicks or grew, true or false, you might guess, but you couldn't actually give an answer because you don't know what it means. So I think there's something that's operating there, uh, in the, in the um, uh, rejection of the law of non-contradiction, but also it's not, it, it's not quite at the level of the laws of thought. When you're talking about uh, rules for logical inferences, you're not dealing with the laws of thought yet.
1: Right. The, law, the rules of logical inference assume the laws of thought
0: yeah. because you're beginning with categories of things. Yeah. Just think about that. The, the, the law sa- that says not non-contradiction is what it is. It's the rule that says not non-contradiction, it's not, it's contradiction. Mm -hmm. So if you were to enter into this and you start affirming the law of non-contradiction, the logician would say, no, wait, we don't do that here. You're contradicting the system. (laughs) And so they're still using the law of non-contradiction. Exactly. So the reason is the laws of thought. And those are some things you and I have both come across, as you said, in grad school or from uh, graduate students in philosophy classes. But these are understood to be unavoidable because to question them, you'd be using them. And so that gets us to quite point four on the handout, Logos Paper 2, which is what I mentioned a moment ago. Reason as a laws of thought is a test for meaning, which is necessary for truth. So reason is not neutral. We talked about that when we went over what is common ground.
1: Yeah. I think this. Yeah, it's, it's, that's an important point that can't be overemphasized when we're dealing with uh, our other brothers and sisters in the faith, that this is... Uh, not we're not calling people to some neutral standpoint with respect to God. Um, we are saying that we are inexcusable before God because we do not use reason to see what is clear. And we're going to get to more of that yeah. later when we get to the principle of clarity.
0: Yeah, we could say, this is one way to say this, is that reason is transcendent. So you can't, reason is transcendent, it's that which makes questioning possible. So you can't question it without using it. Right. Now it's, in that sense, it's common ground to all thinkers. And it's interesting to see it illustrated, for example, in science fiction. Because in science fiction, you'll have ca- some characters who are rational and some characters who aren't. And, and the external look of them doesn't matter so much anymore. So Jabba the Hutt can talk with Luke. Mm-hmm. And they interact. But the frogs in the bowl next to Jabba the Hutt aren't rational. Mm. So there's still this common ground that, that thinkers have in something like science fiction where there are some that can think and others that don't think, and insofar as they're thinking, they're using reason, and that is that's what it means to say reason is transcendental. Yeah, you
1: can't you can't avoid it. You can't get away from it. Um, and even when dealing with those who might want to minimize it in a Christian context, and let's say start with some other standard, because maybe they feel like, uh, well, you guys are really elevating reason here. Yeah, sounds like you're maybe even elevating it above God that's and the scriptures. Yeah, and. Um, So we are going to talk a little bit about that, especially in terms of God as it applies to God's being. But in terms of here, and when it's transcendental, so you can't get away from it, let's say you tried to, what would it mean to say you're going to try, you're going to begin with the scriptures and not with reason? Well, how are you going to understand the scriptures? How are you going to even understand the concepts that are on the pages that you're reading? You're assuming
0: reason when when you begin with the scriptures. To read each sentence in the scriptures, each word, uses the law of identity to distinguish itself from what it isn't. So you're using reason now, if someone changes the word on us, the meaning of the word, and what they mean by reason, they mean naturalistic thinking. Hmm. Then they would say, no, you don't use naturalistic thinking to read the Bible. Right. Of course not. Right. That's not what we mean. Exactly. That's why it's so important to, to
1: be crystal clear that what we mean by reason is the laws of thought. Nothing more, nothing less at this point. That's yeah. what's what we're talking about. And so if you're, people are importing other things in, they're going to have to resist that. They're going to have to resist the urge to import how other people have used reason, especially, and it can, that's understandable in the history of... Ideas and how reason has been used in the past. But I, I want to add though that
0: the laws of thought, the way we're using, it is not like unique to us because someone could say, "Okay, you guys have this kind of weird niche right. definition." No, no, this is the classical definition right. of reason and the laws of thought. So right. it's not as if this is something new or surprising. Sure, that's a good point. Yeah. But but it is it is especially perhaps after uh, in modernity, maybe especially after the French Revolution, and uh, I mentioned Thomas Paine, Age of Reason. There's been a use of the term to mean something different than the classical right. laws of thought. So point five says that, that the laws of thought are the most basic in epistemology, not in ontology, mm-hmm. but in epistemology. Because someone might say to us, you guys are starting with reason. I start with God.
1: Mm.
0: And here they've really made a category mistake because those are two different areas. One is one to do with being, what is eternal. And in the area of being, God, as the eternal being, is the place you start, in the area of epistemology, about how we know, we begin with reason, and and reason is self-attesting; it proves itself. The laws of thought prove themselves, and so they're the most basic authority. And I wonder if that people will raise questions because you brought up scripture, especially. Yeah. And some will say well, the most basic authority. What?
1: Right. And when we say self-attesting, over and against attested to by something else. Right. Right. Because I could be in. And I asked this in my classroom. I said, what are some of the different authorities that we have? And we can list them. Tradition is an authority. Our senses are an authority. Yeah. Uh, sacred scriptures are an authority. And then I say, could you, in principle, question any of those things? Like, can I say, uh, "Oh, and how do you know that there's a table here in yeah. front of you? Right? I, can, I can question that. Yeah. And that's or, a
0: sensible question. Or how about a, a scriptural example? Uh, biblical scholars dispute about what texts mean all the time right, right. so they, they might agree on say the greek or the english translation about it. they say yeah that is right but i don't agree it means what you think it means or even that that is scripture
1: or that there is even
0: scripture at all right, right? there's a whole, whole bunch yeah. of questions
1: they could they could question your tradition however what we're saying is that reason is unique in that it can't be questioned like that yeah. now what we're not saying is that the reason or the scriptures could somehow contradict, we're not saying anything like that. Um, but we're saying in terms of questioning and, and how you uh, identify whether something is authoritative or not, it's the method of doing that is different for a reason than it is, let's say, for the scriptures. Yeah. Right. I can question the scriptures, I can say, well, why should I believe the Bible? And I believe we can give uh, a sound argument as to why the Bible is the word of God. But the way I'm going to do that is going to be different than the way I'm going to argue for reason. I'm not going to give an argument for reason because any argument I would use would assume reason in it.
0: Yeah, and I I think that someone might respond and say, no, no, the scriptures attest to themselves. And what they mean by that is that you don't authenticate the scriptures by some secondary evidence or some appeal to miracles, but it's the actual content of scriptures which validate or authenticate that they are from God. But still, that is a different point being made than that, that, that's a different sense of self-attesting, because you're then still appealing to the content which you understand by reason, yeah. or you're appealing to the Holy Spirit, and you distinguish the Holy Spirit from not the Holy Spirit, you're using reason. Mm-hmm. It's a different way of using the word self-attesting than, uh, in this case, reason is self-testing because you can't avoid it, you can't doubt it. Right. So reason is transcendental. And then uh, the next point says that reason is ontological. And that means that it applies to being as well as thought. And this is a problem that people have. They'll say, look, sure, you can think about these things. You can say these interesting things in the classroom, like there are no square circles, but you'd have to actually travel around to make sure there aren't any square circles. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need to, to send expensive probes to The dark side of the moon or to jupiter or somewhere to make sure there aren't any square circles there Mm. and that's doubting the reasons ontological and and there's and and here's one of the reasons why it is ontological is because being and thought aren't an absolute distinction thought is an activity of being so reason applies to all that is right the law of identity says a is a all that is reason applies to it so if we find a self-contradiction like square circle, we know there aren't any. And and think of all the money we could save. We mm-hmm. don't have to send these expensive probes anymore to Mars because we know just by sitting in our classroom that there aren't any square circles.
1: Mm. Yeah, this is an important point of how, this is the difference between knowing uh, by the laws of thought or what's clear versus coming to see something through the senses or experience something through the senses, right? Yeah. And when we're talking about what is clear like this, the laws of thought, that there's no square circles, this is not something that you need to know by experience. And we'll get later to that, whether that's even something, that's whether we know by experience at all. But it's not something that is a deliverance of experience. Now, you do need to have the concept of square and concept of circle. Yeah. But you could know there's no square circles without even having ever seen a square or a circle, as long as you know what those terms mean. Right,
0: yeah. And what that means is, I also, On the handout, also uses the example of no uncaused events or no being from non-being. So those get more directly applicable to arguments about God's existence. Right. Square circle is an introduction to this idea. Right. But now we're getting to the claim, look, there's no being from non-being, which we will develop to say something has existed from eternity. Right. And we want to show that that is um, the eternal power and divine nature of God clearly seen from the things that have been made. And right. that, that's a good example of the use of reason in Romans one twenty. The things that are made are created, and they're not uncreated. So just from the very fact that there are things that are made means that they're not eternal. Something else is the creator. So, so what is being said there is that we, precisely because we can use reason, we can make these distinctions, and failing to do so is a kind of uh, culpable ignorance. We right. should have known that. And so that's why uh, on point six it says what is logically impossible does not exist in any possible world. And we're going to develop that, I think, in, in uh, arguing that it's clear God exists. That reason applies to the being of God. Mm, oh.
1: Does that worry you? <sighs> that, that may worry a lot of Christians when they hear that. Sounds like you're elevating it above God. Yeah. God's subject to the laws of Yes, yeah, As if there's
0: something called reason, and God has to follow reason. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to what that means is God is God. God isn't non-God. Right. And uh, God is always eternal; God has never been created. Yeah. so that's what it means to apply reason here, to say that reason applies to all being, even the being of God. And if someone was to say no, no, that's to elevate reason, they would then be saying "God could be non-God
1: right. yeah, this is going to be important when we talk later about particular you know Christian doctrines, and could God do? contradictory things like make a square circle how about that could god make a square circle because yeah. really that that's that question is god asked. can do anything greg yes right that's what we hear so and where's what happens when christians have sort of a, a let's, uh let's you know i don't mean this pejoratively but kind of like a simplistic view of understanding of god's power yeah. omnipotence that's when they get tripped up with the god making a rock so big he couldn't lift it right and i you know i've never actually had someone ask me that but i've always i've always hoped they would yeah because i simply want to say no yeah. And you see the shock on their face, you be like, what, what?
0: Yeah, God can't do
1: something? You can't do it. And I say, of course not. Whoever told you God can do anything? Yeah. And they'll be like, all the other Christians I've mm-hmm. ever talked to in my life. See, yeah. But I actually think that there's a lot of things God can't do. God can't do any sort of sins. So all the sins you think of, yeah. God can't do any of those. Yeah. All evil, right? So in, in a, this is something I use with my students, especially my Christian students, when I'm in that context. And I say, look, First of all, we have to have our proper understanding of God's omnipotence. And it doesn't mean just simplicity or God can do anything you can utter, right? But rather it means that God can do anything that's consistent with his nature, and it's logically possible. And the fact that God can't do a lot of things is actually good, you should want that. Because if God can do anything, then that means that God can change the rules of the game. And when you die and go to stand before him, he'll say, no, 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 it was all those who don't believe in Jesus.
0: Yeah, or or what about, there'd there'd be those cases, uh, almost like an integrity matter for God, like he keeps his promises, but then there's ontological problems, right? God could just start being non-God for a while and then come back to being God and not exist. So uh, reason applies to God in that sense, applies to all being. And I want to finish with the last point, which is that reason is natural and fundamental. And what those mean is this, that all persons think, it's not conventional. It's not something that some culture invented and, and then imposed on everyone else. It's the same in all persons at all times who can think. And that's why we're able to translate ancient texts and we're able to engage with people from, with different language and different cultural backgrounds because reason is natural to being a human and also that it's fundamental. And that is to mean that there are, uh, it's basic to other aspects of our personality, especially desire or emotion and choice or action. So what we think, what we believe, how well we use reason or don't use reason shapes and affects what we desire and what we do with our desires. So that's the sense in which it's fundamental because the use of reason is fundamental for the pursuit of meaning and meaning is our most basic need because meaning is more basic than the other quote basic needs like food or water Mm -hmm. or air because you could have all those and if you don't have meaning, you won't want to go on. So the use of reason is basic, it's fundamental, because we're per- using reason to pursue meaning, and meaning is fundamental. So we've covered reason as common ground, what we mean by reason specifically, and some of the uses of reason, and also reason in us. What does it mean to say that reason is transcendental, ontological, fundamental, it's natural, it's what it is to be a human. It shapes us as humans because we want to, as humans, we want to understand, we want to use reason To understand. So, thank you for joining me for episode seven on reason.
1: Thank you.